You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We have been studying and I've been teaching on and I've really been excited about the whole episode of Jacob and Joseph and the restoration of his family because it has so much to say to us today. I could basically just review last week and I would be absolutely thrilled. (laughs) But I do have something new to say as well. Um, You know... When you start hearing the same message a lot of different places, you need to pay attention to it. And I have heard four other preachers that I respect, four different preachers, all of them preaching on Joseph. And I I felt a burden about it, Joseph and Jacob, before I heard any of that. So the Lord is speaking to us. Can you hear that? And the last four or five messages I have done, I think, and I don't talk about myself that much, but I think they're significant. Some of the things the Lord's speaking are life-changing. You know, we do not have to relate to the world the way average normal people do. If we know the Lord and if we understand who he is and what he's all about and what he's done for us, we don't have to live in, in gloom or agony or defeat. Listen, we're all going to suffer. Does everybody get that? Have you gotten that message? You're going to suffer as a believer. You're going to suffer as an unbeliever. It's part of the deal. Um, And we have to build up a certain understanding about that. I'll talk about that just a little bit. But I want to review several things. First of all, um, when you look at Joseph, his terrible mistreatment, God sent Joseph. Let's look at Psalm 105. This is one of the sort of the launch text. I'm just going to read 17, 18, and 19. Uh, He, God, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as what? A slave. How was he treated? They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I'm not going to read those other couple of verses. I need to save the time, but God's analysis of our lives is different from our own analysis. He sees from a higher perspective. When it happened to Joseph, the pain, it did not feel like God was sending him. It felt painful. It was painful. It felt like trauma. It was trauma. Okay. Nevertheless, when it was all said and done, even Joseph agreed with God's perspective. And here's God's perspective. He had sent Joseph on a particular mission. I like that. No matter what man does, God can transform, God can redeem it, God can use it for our good. Whatever the devil does. I mean, what's the worst thing the devil did in human history? Murder the Son of God. Well, how did that work for him? As terrible as it was... It's the basis of him suffering on our behalf. So, number two, Joseph never let his dreams die. Joseph had two prophetic dreams that showed him one day he would be a man of great authority, even over his entire family. When he told his family that as a 17-year-old, they did not relate to him well. Actually, 
It was the basis for their jealousy and their mistreatment. Now, although he did not fully understand what that dream meant, as we see in Psalm 105, his dream became the word of the Lord to him. It became the promise of God to his life. We can't give up our dreams. We can't give up those things the Lord said to us. Um, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So how did Joseph maintain his hope? How did he maintain his dream? He maintained it by keeping a righteous lifestyle and he resisted temptation. Um, when Potiphar's wife, I can't fill in all the blanks. You need to go back and read that section in, in Genesis. But at a given point, Potiphar's, uh, the captain of the guard, Joseph worked for him. His wife tried to seduce Joseph. Joseph refused, and his response was, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Pre-Ten Commandments. That was pre-Ten Commandments. Joseph knew right from wrong. Let's just get that basic. He knew sexual immorality was not right. So he saw sinning even as sinning against God. He had a high moral standard. Um, How else did he continue to move forward in the face of adversity? And this may be one of the most significant things he did. Joseph served. That's how he sustained his hope. Were there other factors that enabled him to endure until he could fulfill the ultimate vision for his life? Yes, he served. Everywhere he went, no matter what condition, no matter how he'd been treated, he gave himself to being a benefit to those people he was associated with. I believe it's one of the keys to endurance and prevailing. He chose to serve in whatever adverse circumstance he found himself in. I remember years ago selling restaurant equipment. I did that for 20 years, and I got bored. I got frustrated. I felt like it's in a rat race, and I asked the Lord, what should I do? And he says, well, you started serving money. You quit serving your customer. That's what he said. You start loving your customer again. You, you, you try to sell him what will benefit him. You'll stop being bored, and you'll make a good living. And that's what I did. That's what I did. I lost sight of what was important. It's serving wherever you are, caring for who you're with and and what you're doing. Now, it's very interesting, too. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and served him. This is in Genesis 39. The next word, then, say then with me, then he made him overseer of his house. That's the right order. God served Potiphar, then Potiphar advanced him. Um, Another remarkable thing is, when he was put in prison for the false accusation, the Bible tells us he served the butler and the baker in prison. How many of you remember this story? When the butler and the baker got put in prison, they both had dreams. Joseph, in his service to them, interpreted those dreams And I mean, one of them didn't have a good outcome. One of them meant the guy was going to die. The other one meant he was going to be restored. Uh, uh, The butler was restored. But 
serving the butler and the baker through interpreting their dreams literally opened the door for Joseph to meet and serve Pharaoh and become second in command of all Egypt. That's what serving did. He humbled himself. He did the best he could for those he was associated with, and God advanced him into a most remarkable, remarkable place of favor. But faithfulness in serving is a key to promotion and being trusted with favor. Um, I could go on with that, but I've already done that last week. How many of you are listening? It's important. In Joseph's life, blessing often followed his commitment to serve. What does favor look like? Well, it usually first appears as an opportunity to do something for someone else's benefit. And the last thing before I do the next thing, does that make sense? The last thing before I do the next thing is Joseph refused to yield to self-pity or jealousy. I mentioned this earlier. Suffering is an inevitable part of life and the Christian life. But you can suffer and still not identify as a victim. You can actually be a victim but refuse to identify as one. Are you listening? Yeah. You have to see beyond that. Can you be mistreated and be a victim? Yes, but you've got to see beyond that. And one of the problems is one of the byproducts of that victim mentality or self-pity is jealousy. Identify... Identifying as a victim or yielding to self-pity leads to jealousy and criticizing those who are more successful. A friend of mine, I mentioned this last last week, and I want to say it again. Um, one of my spiritual fathers passed away be seven years ago this February. And on his basically, one of his dying comments was a warning about jealousy. He said he called it one of the great dangers of our times. How many of us see that, that jealousy is one of the great dangers of our times? Um, He said that jealousy will hinder the fulfillment of our calling and destiny. He said jealousy is the lining of the coat of hatred because the lining is a comfortable feeling. How many of you have seen that expressing bitterness initially feels pretty good. Feels pretty good at first. It's actually got a little juice on it. You know what I mean by that? A little, little power to it. Oh, but that's not the power of God. That's coming from somewhere else. This bitterness and jealousy are illegal comforts because that's how we try to comfort ourselves. But I'm going to tell you, both of them take us down. You become poisoned. You become jaded. I've noticed lately I've been jaded by certain things. Um, My reaction to certain social media things has caused me uh, to back away from certain things. things I really could do on social media that would be beneficial to people. It's because we get jaded. We respond poorly. Now, everything I've said today is, um, is review. But it's also, it's also important. I could talk more about jealousy. I'm not going to do that because I want to get to one other thing. I want to talk about 
premature conclusions. Premature conclusions. You know, Joseph went through, um, well, let me just read this because it, 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 it details Joseph's story. His life is a story of hope, but it's not cosmetic. It's not a cosmetic kind of hope. It's not just simple optimism or a positive outlook on life. Joseph's hope was forged in what I would call a white-hot furnace of affliction, jealousy, hatred, and heartache. Joseph's hope weathered years of adversity, humiliation, indignity, false accusation. Anyone who feels bad about their life, compare yours to Joseph, and, and you will realize you're doing pretty well. I mean, stripped naked, chained, shackled, lied about, misunderstood, ignored, all of that. So how else do you overcome being betrayed by your own brothers? The shame of being stripped naked, sold into slavery, shackled in chains. How do you overcome false accusation, unjust imprisonment, being forgotten, being ignored? You do it by believing your dreams or God's promises for your life. Can you hear that? Now, I know people will take exception with that. Well, help yourself. But God speaks. God gives us promises. Some of them are straight out of the scripture. Others are personal for our lives because we have a personal relationship, not just with a book, but a person, a God, a speaking God who cares about us, who will make us promises. Sometimes these promises seem utterly impossible. With God, all things are possible. So, How do you overcome? You do it by believing the dreams God's given you as unbreakable promises for your life because he is only good and he cannot lie. Joseph's revelation and personal knowledge of God kept hope alive until the stage was set for his dreams to come to pass. So we see him. He refused to yield to self-pity, unforgiveness, jealousy. He learned how to serve I believe he believed that God could fulfill his dreams, but I think we have to understand he didn't feel that way when he was 17 years old. At 39, that that was basically towards the end of the famine, or when his brothers came to town... He changed his conclusions, I think, about some pretty significant things. Now, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. We, we have got to stay in a perpetual reevaluation posture when it comes to how we relate to the Lord. I'm going to explain some of this. Because Joseph came to some conclusions about his life that are startling, they're controversial, but they're liberating. In, in the face of everything that had happened to him, in the midst of the famine, I think it was in the second year of the famine, they had seven years of plenty, then they had two years of seven-year famine, Joseph said things like this, God sent me here to preserve life. It was not you. Looked at everything happened to him. 
to him. It was God. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I wonder when he made those conclusions. When did he conclude that God had sent him to save his family's life? Was it when he was 17, thrown in the ditch? I doubt it. Was it um, when he was laboring in Potiphar's house? I doubt it. When it was being betrayed by Potiphar's wife? I doubt it. Was it when he was in prison and had an accurate revelation for the butler and the baker? I doubt it. Was it during the first seven years of prosperity where his two children were born? One of them he named causing to forget and the other one double fruitfulness because what he was saying, God has caused me to forget my family and all the pain of my life. And the other one, double fruitfulness, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I don't think he even came to that conclusion after those children were born and he gave them prophetic names as testimonies to the healing God had done in his life to that point. I believe it was when his brother showed up and he saw them face to face and he began to wrestle with all his own emotions, both good and bad, that he came to a conclusion, my God sent me here for them. Now, We have to reevaluate what we think about the Lord because there are times we're going to accuse the Lord of being heartless, being unconcerned, being downright cruel when he is none of those things. No, he's none of those things. Although our experience may be, it doesn't mean he is because if you will wait, if you will exercise patience, if you will live out the necessary distance in your life with God, you will discover every single thing that has happened in your life has happened for your benefit and not for your harm. That's what Joseph said. But he couldn't say it right away. He had to live it. He had, listen, if you've never been disappointed, you got one coming. If you've never been heartbroken, you're going to know it at some point in your life. You are. It's just the way this thing works. We don't escape. But what we do is we have someone who can come into the midst of all of those things, begin to heal us, begin to re um, interpret what's happened to us in ways whereby we're not bitter anymore. Oh, I thought about a friend who, I can't even talk about it. But there's a, there's a point where e even the people that have done you harm, you just look at them and you go, well, that's just who they are. That's what they do. Anyway, that didn't work that well. But it helped me. Okay. Just like Jacob, whose perspective was 180 degrees wrong when he said all these things are against me, when all of them were for him, we make hasty and accurate conclusions about the Lord, his plan for our lives, his purposes for our lives. Those hasty, faulty conclusions can set our lives on a negative and a destructive path. 
I've got more to say, but I have many more opportunities to say them. What we want to do now is I want to welcome, I want to welcome Andy Squires, and we're going to receive communion this morning. Let me ask you this. How many of you got helped by what we have heard so far? Yeah. Let's affirm it as Andy comes and prepares. Father, we, we do not want to misjudge you. We want to receive all the blessing, all the healing, all the help that you have to offer. So for those of us gathered here this morning, those of us by live stream, Holy Spirit, you're good. You love us. Release health, release healing, release that hope that does not make us shamed. In Jesus' name. Sometimes you might go to church and have a good time if you're not careful. I'm having a good time this morning. I, I had prepared a script for communion this morning, but I was sitting there in my chair just now listening to Robin and, um, I just started getting hit with these waves of joy as I was sitting there thinking about communion and, and thinking about comparing my life with, with the life of Joseph. And I, I realized, uh, I have, I have suffered so greatly in my life and I have, I have lost so many times in my life. And, uh, I was telling a friend recently that I, my conclusion is that I have lost too much and too many times to give up on hope now. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like when you lose everything, you become a very dangerous person because you really begin to, uh, I don't know. It's like you, you get opened up to the Lord in a way that you can't otherwise. And, and I, I was, I was thinking about when I was a kid and when they would take communion, how I had no idea what was going on. If, are you, if you're a kid in here, raise your hand. If any kids in here, is there any kids? Okay, there's some kids in the back. All right. So if you don't have any clue as to what is happening with communion, I'm here to tell you I don't have a clue either. It is a really big mystery. But I want to tell you kids something about communion. It's really great. Okay, and this is for the rest of you too, so pay attention. So so God is a person that we can't see, right? Kids, have you ever actually seen God with your eyes? You haven't, right? But we have this testimony that's been given to us about this man named Jesus. And he came to earth as God. He was divinity who became humanity. He became like you and me. And we have this story called the Bible that tells us that God wanted us to know that he loved us so much that he became like us. And the story goes that he came to the earth and he saved humanity by showing us how to live and then giving his life on the cross for us. And before he did that, before he died on the cross, he got his best friends together and he said this, 
I'm going away and you won't be able to see me anymore, but it's going to be okay. And I think some of those friends didn't really understand how it was going to be okay. But he gave them this thing to do. He said, you know, some time's going to pass and you won't be able to see me anymore. But there's this thing that you can do that you can remember how much I love you and how much I will always love you. Isn't that cool? Jesus did this for us. And he said this, he's at this party with his friends and they've just eaten this big meal. And he goes, the God that you can't see. Well, when you're thinking about him, think about him like this. He's like a loaf of bread. What? That's kind of weird, isn't it? Jesus used to say all kinds of really strange things. But one of the things that he said is he said, I am the bread of life. If you want to know what God is like, he's like bread. He's life-giving bread. But in this instance with his friends, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Think about my body, my life that was given for you. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he began to feed his friends with it. And so if you've got your wafer, if you've got your little communion cup, why don't we do that together right now? As an act of remembrance and in a way of seeing the God that we serve and love. Here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to proclaim the mystery of the death of Christ as we eat his body together. I know that sounds really strange, but this is what he told us to do. He said, when I go away, do this in remembrance of me. So together right now, let's just remember Jesus together. And as you're taking that, you can even tell the Lord, thank you, Lord. Kids, you should do that. Say that to the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for me. And then it says, in like manner, he took a cup of grape juice. I think they were serving wine, but we've got grape juice. It's just as good. It works just as well. And he said, this is my blood. I'm showing you. I'm giving you my life. And it's. Did you hear when Pastor Robin was talking about promises? He was saying, there's these promises that I'm giving you. Well, Jesus was, he used the word covenant, but a covenant is like a promise. It's words that you say to somebody that can never be broken. It's like a vow. And he's saying, I am always going to be with you. I am always going to be present with you, whether you're having a good day or whether you're having a bad day and all of the types of days in between, I am always with you and do this in remembrance of me. And then he gave all of his friends the cup and they all drank it. So you have a little cup now and let's drink it together. And why don't you just tell the Lord, thank you. It's as simple as that. If communion is anything else, it's a meal of joy. It's the joyful remembrance. 
that we are with God all of the time and that God is with us in our humanity. Isn't that cool? All right. Let's pray and then we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for the time together, for all the kids in this room, we pray for them. And, and, and on the live stream, we pray for all the kids as that they're in their new school schedule and all of the, 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 the newness of learning online and all of the different situations that we find them in. Lord, we're glad that even in this new season that you're with us and we speak a blessing over all the kids as they're, as they're heading into the school year, Lord, we ask you for strength and wisdom and courage to do it all well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 